Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Look, I think the best phrase is simple. It ain't working. The Mark Reardon Show. All of this woke world that we're living in right now is not working. Why are you guys bullying me? Mark Reardon. Say, presidents can't do much. I'm done. Do what you want. Pull the plug. This is the Mark Reardon Show. As all day, now some rushes come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. Yes, they did. What a great Super Bowl yesterday. The Chiefs get it done. They went for once, Fred. I was right about the uh, Super Bowl. I figured I was wrong because I picked the uh, the Chiefs. I figured they would get it done. <laughs> I picked Andy Reid over Siriano. I picked Pat Mahomes over my fantasy quarterback, Jalen Hurts. But it was a hell of a game. There's did, no doubt about it. Did you win any money? You know, I, I did win some money. And I can't, you know, I was telling the gang before the show. So I, um, since we can't do this legally in Missouri, you can do it in Illinois, and I don't live close enough. Like, if I was living downtown, I would probably just cross over the river and do it because I'm out in the suburbs. It's not convenient. But you know my friend Rick who lives in Las Vegas. So right. we shoot – my wife and I shoot at max 50 bucks a weekend. Usually she tries to slip more by, but I'm talking during the <laughs> NFL and the college season. We'll, we'll do parlays, you know, 50 bucks between a Saturday and a Sunday. And Fred, you know this because I talk about we never hit those damn things. I think we hit two the entire season. And uh, that's always fun when you hit them. And a parlay is where you say, okay, the Chiefs are going to win, the Eagles are going to win when they're playing different teams, obviously. And then maybe you take the over on a game or something like that. So I actually put together, um, I decided to do things a little differently yesterday. And I put some parlays, or not parlays, just some prop bets together. But I'll tell you what happened is the... um, the group that we wager with, like I have the app on my phone, it's called William Hill. And if you go to Vegas, depending on where you are, whatever state, you have different options. FanDuel, uh, they have MGM out there. But I have William Hill, which is one of the big sports apps. It's been down for about 28 hours. So we got the bets <laughs> in. Rick got the bets in yesterday. But they um, they didn't um, – sorry, I'm getting distracted here because my wife is telling me that my mic is really hot, which means that that means it's distorted, which is not a good thing at all. Uh, but they've had the, the app shut down for like 28 hours, and no one can get in and find out what their winnings are or anything like that. So here, you want to know what the prop bets are, Fred? Well, that I, uh, you know, I my, my son texted me and said during the game, he's in Atlanta. He said, hey, did Chris Stapleton miss any words in the national anthem? I'm like, I, well, I, I don't really know. Was that know. one of the prop bets? That was one of the prop bets he made. <laughs> 
You made a bet that there would be a word missed in the national anthem. See, and those those weird, the, like the weird prop bets, the ones that are kind of goofy, we didn't have access to those. And oh, the color, I, the color of the Gatorade? Stuff like that. Right. I, I didn't have any access to those. And if I did, they I couldn't find them anywhere on the app. So here's what I did. Um, and I just did some fun stuff. Like I had $10 on tails. So we were we were <laughs> in the money. I mean, I made $3.50 right, wow. <laughs> right out of the gate or whatever it was. I, I think I won this one. I haven't been able to verify it. I had money on the Chiefs to score the longest TD in the game. And if that uh, kick return yeah. counts for a big play, then I win. I had $10 on the Eagles to make – I'm telling you, I'm running real, rolling real big and heavy here with my $10 bets. $10 on the Eagles to make the first field goal of the game. I think that that one actually uh, came in. I had a really – this one I kind of liked because it was long odds. $10 on the game decided by exactly 14 points. So it was pretty good odds on that. So the $10 bet would have been, you know, at least 100 or, or something like that. $10 on Travis Kelsey and A.J. Brown each scoring a TD. I got that one. They both scored a TD. <clears throat> I had $10 on Marquez uh, – Valdez Scantling scoring a TD, and I'm not even convinced he was in the damn lineup yesterday. I'm kind of kidding, but he didn't touch the ball at all. I had $10 on Travis Kelsey to score a TD in the first half. That happened. I had um, $10 on the Chiefs to first score a field goal or safety. That did not that did not happen. I had uh, $10 on who will score a TD first, Jalen Hurts over Kelsey. Got that one. And I said Chris Jones would record a sack. He did not. In fact, I mean, I think it was like one sack in that whole game. And then I had win money on the Chiefs. Okay, so I did take the Chiefs on a win bet, and I think um, it was like a, a point and a half or something like that. Was the uh, was the you know, it might have been straight. I think I might have gotten them just on a money line bet. So that was just straight no points. But I won that. So. You didn't put any money on a pregnant halftime performance? No, but let's talk about that here just a little bit because obviously that's one of the uh, the things that people notice is Rihanna came out there. I was too busy trying to figure out. Let's see if we can get into it here a little bit. What would you say? I thought it was okay. It was fine, right? I thought it was good. It was like a greatest hits performance. Let me let me just talk about the the good and the bad of that. I think if you're in the stadium or if you're just kind of watching on TV and you don't really care about a band playing or music or anything, visually, I, I suppose it was okay, especially if you're in the stadium. Because now, let's face it, Super Bowl shows of the past, whether it was Katy Perry or the East Street Band or anything, you just had a stage. Maybe you had yeah, a big Phil stage. Collins, when I was there, Phil Collins... You know, you, Enrique were you Iglesias? up in the press box when that happened or not? No, I was up in the, the top row. Okay, but could you seat. even see anything? Because it's like a tiny stage no. on the field. At least in this case, if you're in the worst seats in that stadium, you're going to see something kind of cool because you'll see all the visuals. But from my perspective, the, the biggest issue is that not that she was pregnant, and I guess she decided to tell the world that she was pregnant, is she had to be lip syncing 80% of that, right? Yeah, 80% at least because uh, she's running around and she, I don't know. I so, was closely watching. I couldn't catch it though. I was well, they didn't, trying they to didn't catch show close ups yeah. though. I mean, she was I, she was lip syncing well. I got to uh, give her credit though. She's not afraid of heights. No. Not I mean, at if all. She was just standing on that little platform as it was going up and down. Right. And and some of that Look, I think the choreography was okay. The the goofy white outfits, I don't know, but I guess everybody was <laughs> that supposed was like to a contrast. Bad dream. Right, but there was yeah. I guess they're trying to contrast with her dazzling red outfit. Uh let's see what you, else. You, you know, he, oh, and and did you know that she was pregnant? Cuz no. I was during halftime, I was like no, I embarrassed. Know. I said to people I was watching with, you know, I may be out of this, but 
did I miss something that said that she's pregnant? And what did people think? Uh, they're like, no, we didn't notice that. Yeah. We didn't hear it either. No, that that was as, as soon as she took the stage, I think Twitter started blowing up. That was yeah. the assumption. And in fact, that was uh, apparently the case. So you had a few other things that happened. Uh, you mentioned the national anthem, but let's get to this here. Lift every voice. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I, I remember seeing last year that I didn't watch the pregame of the Super Bowl. I tried to, but everything was social justice. So even yesterday, I tuned in only about 20, 25 minutes before kickoff. So right around 5 o'clock or so, it was still all social justice. And it was Shirley Ralph here. because we have to do the uh, the Black National Anthem before these games as well. And I did think, well, two things. I have the audio of this. I thought Stapleton was great. Yeah, I think great. he nailed it. And then, uh, who was it, Babyface? Yeah. God, he was awesome, too. Right. He didn't look so much baby-faced anymore, but <laughs> I thought that his rendition of God Bless America, or no, I'm sorry, America the Beautiful, was fantastic. But listen to Stable in here. At the gleaming. And I don't know, Fred, if you heard the, you know, you could kind of place an over-under on the time. And we were talking about this last week. I took yeah. the under or the over just because you knew it would be a, a slower-paced national anthem. And, in fact, it was. So that was good. And then after the game, now, I didn't see this. And, and this is surprising. You know my wife a little bit. She doesn't get triggered very often, right? She, she's not someone who gets triggered. Right. But I went upstairs in the aftermath. I finally decided we, we just did. It was just us, Alexa and my wife, and we just did some Super Bowl food for ourselves. And I made chili yesterday, but I had snacked so much during the game, <laughs> I waited until after the game to eat my chili. So I go upstairs, I come back down, and my wife's all um, apoplectic about this interview that Bradshaw did with Andy Reid, saying, I can't believe he'd... I'm like, really? It's, is it that big of a deal? Do, do you know the controversy no, about this? No, I don't. So did you see that part? I don't think I okay, did. Well, he apparently, he uh, he may have fat-shamed Andy Reid, right? Listen to this. Big guy. Let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. Cool. <laughs> he says waddle over here. And then the way Becky described it, he said a couple more. But who cares? You, Those guys know each other. Terry Bradshaw is not exactly, and he knows this, the picture of health these days. He says something to Andy Reid. I'm sure Andy Reid is fine with it. But everybody on Twitter has to go nuts about it. You know, uh, you had two brothers playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Jason Kelsey. Kelsey Travis. I don't know if you heard about that because that was an under- <laughs> that was an undercover part of the story. But here's Travis. There's nothing you can really say to uh, a loved one in, that, in a situation like that. Um, you know, you uh, you joke around all the time and say that you want to be your brother in the biggest stage ever, but it's um, it's a uh, it's a weird feeling. I saw a quote from Jason, and I bet it's accurate. Okay, I saw this out there yesterday that he said to Travis. F you and congratulations, which is about right, right? I mean, I, I can see that that would be relatively relatively painful for uh, the other Kelsey brother. Andy Reid, after the game, after he was fat-shamed. That game last night was a heck of a game. Uh, you really, I, I know Philly's hanging their head a little bit, but nobody really lost. I mean, it was two great teams playing each other and, um, and two great cities. I noticed. No, somebody lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did, did, I know was there was a little like, bit of, like, um, Rough stuff going on in Philadelphia after the game. Well, with that people, climbing, people climbing, people climbing 
with posts that, and yeah, stuff like that. I don't I don't know if that would surprise you whatsoever. But here's here's the other thing that didn't age very well from last night is everyone was making a big deal about the last play, right? Or the play that led to the first down where the Chiefs got a little closer for the uh, field goal. Oh, it's not a penalty. In fact, Greg Olson, what did you think of the team, by the way? Greg, that might be the last year Greg Olson's doing the Super Bowl because uh, they're going to change and Brady's going to come in, I guess, in 24. Maybe he'll do it next year anyway. Yeah. Right. There was a holding call uh, on the second-to-last play, if you will, that gave the Chiefs a bit of an advantage with the field goal. So the Chiefs were at third and eight from the 15-yard line. There's under two minutes to play. The game's tied 35-35, and James Bradbury is the quarterback for the Eagles, and he um, appears to put his hand on Juju Smith-Schuster's uh, back, and then he gets whistled for holding. Now, there's two parts of that play if you see the the review or you know the replay. The first part is where he got the flag. He hooked him. Right. Right? He grabbed his jersey. You know how I know that? Because James Bradbury has admitted that he grabbed the jersey. You got all these people. I talked to three different people today. Well, that call at the end of the game. No, no, no. You know, that call at the end of the game was right. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback James Bradbury took responsibility for a questionable holding call. I was hoping he would let it go, but of course he's a ref. It was a big game. It was a hold, so they called it. So let's move on from that. What's amazing to me is there are people still fighting me on that after the guy who was flagged with the penalty said, yeah, you know what, I held him. (laughs) So I think we're going to take his word for it, right? Sorry, Eagles fans. I think you just have to accept that at this point. You know what really amazed me toward the end? was the strategy of the Chiefs not to run it into the end zone. Yeah, thank God. I mean, I, I know, who but was what, it that, what a risk. Oh, I know, but who was it that took that knee right there at the one, and that was a great move because it, it was it a risk. Ran down the clock. Because you don't know what's going to happen, but at the same time, the Eagles get that ball back, and then they may need just a field goal right. to tie, and you don't know what will happen. Hey, you know what else happened yesterday? DeMar Hamlin was at the game. And it was like the real DeMar Hamlin, apparently, because in the aftermath of the game from a couple of weeks ago with There wasn't the Bills, a stunt double. Well, that's what people, this went, I never talked about this very much on the air, but people went nuts over this, Fred. Remember, he kind of, it was weird, I will say this, because he comes into the stadium when the Bills faced the Bengals that first weekend, and he had glasses on, and he had his you know hoodie over his head. So you had these conspiracy theories out there that DeMar, I don't know if people really thought that he, he wasn't there or that he had died or something like that so he was at the game Michael Strahan talked to him you make the tackle do you remember standing up after you make that tackle that's something I don't really want to get into deep into in the details of but something I'm still trying to work through you know why it happened to me what is the first thing you remember when you started to wake up uh, just hearing family members uh, my mom my dad friends that were there well it's dramatic music obviously <laughs> That, that was a pre-prepared or pre-packaged interview that Michael Strahan did with DeMar Hamlin. There was something else I was going to mention from the game last night. I can't remember what it was. Do you but, want to talk uh, commercials next oh, hour? Oh, well, we yeah, let's talk commercials next hour because there were some good ones. We'll do that at, at 4 o'clock right before Sue's news. Sue is out today. That's why you haven't heard her voice as I pop the microphone. Uh, she'll be back tomorrow. I thought my friend Don Kendrick was going to pinch hit this afternoon, but she fell ill the same way that uh, three members of the E Street <laughs> Band have fallen ill at this point. For those of us oh, yeah. going to Kansas City, this weekend, you have uh, Nils Lofgren, Steve, and Susie Tyrell, who plays fiddle, if you a violin for the band, all out with COVID right now. They have a show tomorrow, and then one on Thursday. If you do the math, like if this thing is spray, Steve Van Zant, Miami Steve, basically spits in Bruce's face when they share the microphone. They're kind of <laughs> right next to one another, essentially making out. So you start thinking about this, and if three people have COVID right now, what does that mean for, for Saturday? I don't know. 
I have no idea. <laughs> but wow, yeah, I know, right? All right, uh, Fred, let's kind of get off and run in here. Oh, one thing I did want to spend some time, and you, you know that I texted you this early in the season. It was probably like the fourth or fifth week of the NFL season, and I texted Fred. I said, you know who's got a big advertising budget? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Remember that? Right. Because yeah. Jesus spent a lot of money on the NFL, and some of what he did yesterday was somewhat controversial, like AOC and some members of Congress were very offended that Jesus was spending money on the Super Bowl. Well, we'll get into that with the ads. Uh, boy, I saw a piece over the weekend, Fred. You know this because I sent it to you on Saturday, and I don't, um, I don't often look at topics on Saturdays, really, typically. But I did in this particular case. I was zipping around on the uh, on the iPad, and there was a guy by the name of Vincent Lloyd, who I believe is in Philadelphia, by the way. He's a professor at Villanova. <laughs> Maybe we won't bring that up. Uh, And he's the director of the Center for Political Theology at Villanova University. He's also written a book called Black Dignity, The Struggle Against Domination. But Professor Lloyd is like he's an anti-racist guy. He's he's one of these guys that teaches anti-racism. But when he was in a seminar with a bunch of high school students last year in a seminar that he has helped teach for eight years now, he found that he triggered students and essentially he was booted from this. And as a black professor and someone who has taught not just about black history, but anti-racism, and you can make your judgment call on that in a variety of ways, and I certainly do on a regular basis, but his story is really amazing. So Vincent Lloyd, Professor Lloyd's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Congressman Jason Smith, who is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, will talk to him about the balloon threat. And apparently aliens are invading the country. I don't know. We've <laughs> talked about this for years now, and they're here. And we're shooting them down one by one. So we'll certainly keep you posted on that. I think Will Smith's having a news conference this afternoon from the White House to give us all the details. But also the COVID fraud hearing last week was really amazing. Jason Smith will weigh in on that. We got Kusumano from Channel 5, uh, Brian Clark, who is with the um, Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute, has got a unique take on the balloons. That and an audio cut of the day at 545 and a whole lot more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Monday afternoon on St. Louis's home for conservative talk. Mark Reardon, as we get the week started, Sue is out. She'll be back tomorrow afternoon. Took a trip down to Houston to see her brother. Fred's going to pinch hit on Sue's news this afternoon. We have Congressman Jason Smith, the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, coming up right after that at 425 this afternoon. So I mentioned I was uh, tooling around a little bit on Saturday, which is not typical. I don't always do that on Saturday. I kind of get away from things. But I saw this piece that really struck me, which was called Black Dignity, the Struggle Against Domination, written by a uh, black professor in uh, Philadelphia at Villanova. And the story that he told is very similar to some of the things that we've shared on the air today about anti-wokeness, or not today, but throughout the years on anti-wokeness. So uh, read the piece told Fred right away, we got to do something on this. And, and Fred reached out and got Vincent Lloyd. He's a professor and the director of the Center for Political Theology at Villanova University. He also wrote a book called Black Dignity, The Struggle Against Domination. And this um, this piece, which is called The Black Professor Trapped in Anti-Racist Hell, is quite eye-opening. Vincent Lloyd, thank you for coming on 97.1 FM Talk. Professor, how are you? I, I'm doing well, although we, we could be a bit better here in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you brought it up, so I, I guess we have to go down that path. We're kind of chief. I'm a Chiefs fan, but it was a good game, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it was uh, made it made it worth watching. A bit of excitement. Yeah, I thought, boy, everyone's picking the Eagles, and I certainly thought it was going to be the Eagles year. And Jalen was my fantasy quarterback, Professor Lloyd. So I have a lot of respect <laughs> and love for Jalen because he helped me quite a bit. This past year, uh, your story is is fascinating, and it does fit with some of the themes that I talk about here on this show on a regular basis. I think we should mention that you uh, you're a black professor, right? Which is pretty important to this story. I am. Yes. You um you did a you, uh, this is a long detailed piece, but you would do this uh, this seminar. I want you to describe this with a group called the Telluride Association, and you'd done this for for a while, hadn't you? And something happened in this past year that was a little different, I think, than you experienced in the past. Set this up for us a little bit, Professor Lloyd. Sure. So this is a, a program for high school students to take a college level class, a, a kind of uh, opportunity for the uh, 16 and 17 year olds to have a all expenses paid uh, college experience uh, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan and Ithaca, New York on the campuses of University of Michigan or, or Cornell uh, and uh, to live together and to uh, govern themselves democratically together uh, for six weeks over the summer. The topic of my course was uh, race and the limits of law in America. And we were thinking about questions of immigration, uh, Native Americans, uh, anti-black racism, uh, mass incarceration, and, and, and other issues. Uh, but in the past, uh, when I taught this course uh, in, in uh, 2014, uh, the students had uh, read the, the material, uh, asked each other tough questions, each changed their mind over the course uh, of the, the six weeks. This time, the students got uh, stuck. They, they wanted uh, everything to be about uh, anti-black racism. And when it wasn't, uh, when we were uh, discussing other topics, uh, the, the, there was a, a rebellion. The students said, we, we can't uh, proceed unless uh, you lecture. We don't have discussions, but you lecture, and it's all about uh, anti-black uh, racism. 
So uh, I want to I want to back up a little bit because you you write this in this piece. I'm a black professor. I directed my university's black studies program. I led anti-racism and transformative justice workshops. I published books on anti-black racism and prison abolition. I live in a predominantly black neighborhood of Philadelphia. My daughter went to an Afrocentric school. I'm on the board of our local black cultural organization. And you mentioned this, and I want you to kind of explore this a little bit. You said that in the past, and this maybe changed your view on this considerably. You said you had been dismissive of criticism of the current discourse on race in the United States. What did you mean by that? And was that in the aftermath, of course, here in St. Louis? We're kind of ground zero for some of this from what happened with Mike Brown years ago. So are you talking more about in recent history where you were dismissive of that? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I uh, do uh, think that you know, there are uh, uh, criticisms of, anti- of anti-racism that are uh, uh, overblown, and uh, that's how, how I had felt for a long time. Yeah. That, um, you know, we, we ought to think about black history. We ought to uh, think about uh, black culture. This ought to be part of uh, how we uh, teach, our, teach our students uh, at, at all levels. Uh, and uh, we ought to, uh, you know, encourage movements for justice when, when there are uh, instances of, of racial injustice. Now, I, I still believe those things to be true, but now I also see uh, that uh, there are uh, problems uh, in uh, left uh, um, uh, anti-racist spaces that, that need to be addressed, that we need to have a frank conversation about. Yeah, so let's let's talk about what happened last year. And you're you're in the seminar, and you, um, I believe this is a, a name that you kind of made up for the purposes of writing it. There, there are a couple of students that you call. Um, well, one of them is called Keisha, right? Uh, assigned mm-hmm. to to do some of the work in the afternoon. So what happened with Keisha? Because this is really a point where some of this turned in in a different direction, right? Yes, yeah. So Keisha um, is a college age student who was supposed to be sort of like a teaching assistant. Um, but became something like a diversity manager or diversity bureaucrat in this uh, in this uh, seminar. Uh, she had very strong views about uh, what we could say and what we couldn't say, what words we could use, what words we couldn't use, what we ought to be uh, uh, teaching. And, uh, um, and uh, when I wasn't doing uh, what she thought was right, she would uh, make her own uh, anti-racism workshops in the afternoon uh, for for all of my students to uh, to attend. And eventually. Uh, she, she, I mean, the, the atmosphere became, uh, frankly, cult-like, uh, as, I, as I described yeah, it in you, the essay. you mentioned that's a word that you use, right? Explain what happened with the snapping of the fingers. Yeah, so the, the idea was that uh, students would uh, snap their fingers when they, they heard something that they agreed with uh, to uh, signal their, their affirmation, uh, their sort of fellow feeling. But uh, that in the space of a seminar where we're all supposed to be sharing different views, uh, and learning from each other and um, uh, making ourselves vulnerable by by trying out different ideas. Uh, the snapping of the fingers meant that you know, uh, people would um, you know, say something that, that was controversial, they would get no reaction, and then someone else would uh, say something that was you know, uh, with the um, uh, sort of um, anti-racist uh, uh, basically dogma that, yeah. that uh, Keisha was putting forward, and then everyone would snap their, their fingers. Uh, so it, was, uh, uh, it had a silencing effect. Yeah, and you. one of the things, because what was happening here is people were being triggered, right? These were students. I've heard these stories before, even from around here, but there were, um, there were kids that were being triggered by things that were just, I, I guess, maybe even factual that were brought up. But you, you mentioned that there was an Asian-American student that pointed out that 60% of federal inmates are white, and the black students said, well, it, we don't like that. that. That triggered them just hearing something like that, right? It did, yes. 
and yeah, and there was a um, a week that we spent on Native American uh, racism and uh, you know the problems of, of Native Americans, and uh, students uh, complained uh, that um, it was harmful to the black students to spend so much time on Native American uh, racism when that was overlooking the harms that even Native Americans had done to black Americans. So your relationship, because you you kind of chronicle this um, in in the piece, which is fascinating. Professor Vincent Lloyd from Villanova is here, and you you and Keisha uh, are supposed to meet, but then that that relationship frays right right quick, and there are even some of these Asian students who sort of disappear. They expelled. You say they're expelled from the the seminar. Essentially, they're booted out, aren't they? Yeah, so uh, they they just didn't uh, show up one day, and we weren't told anything. Uh, and then uh, a couple of days later, we found out that they were kicked out of the the program. These were the two students who had views that uh, were never brought into conformity with uh, with Keisha and with the the sort of mass of uh, of students in in the, the seminar who were sort of toting this um, um, anti-racist uh, line. Right. And when you just to offer another example, Professor, here, you talked about Brown versus the Board of Education and explain what the Dahl test is and maybe how this kind of played into the, the triggering of some of the students. Sure. Uh, so uh, in this uh, uh, famous uh, Supreme Court case, Brown versus Board, that you know is foundational to, to thinking about questions of, of race in America, the, the case that ended segregation uh, in the U.S., uh, the, one of the things that the Supreme Court uh, relied on was a psychological test uh, where a psychologist showed uh, uh, black children three dolls uh, and uh, of different uh, they, they showed the children dolls of different races. And they said, you know, uh, how would you describe uh, these these dolls? Would you say they're white? Would you say they're colored or would you say that they're Negro? Uh, and uh, when uh, we reported reported this uh, test to the students, when we described uh, this this test, this sort of uh, foundational uh, feature of uh, American history, uh, one of the uh, black students uh, uh, reported uh, that she was uh, harmed by hearing uh, about the word this color. test. Uh, uh, the the other word, a Negro. There. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so and that, that was Randy what, Keisha, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So then you, you know, this, and I want people to, to read the piece, uh, but you, you say that at a certain point, they, they come after you, right? And they say that you had used racist language, that you had misgendered Brittany Griner, that you confused the names of black students, that your body language harmed them, that you hadn't corrected facts that were harmful to hear when the students introduced, introduced them in the class. So all of these things, they come at you. What, what is your feeling at this point? You kind of felt things were building, but that still had to catch you off guard, didn't it? Yeah, so I'm certainly not a perfect teacher, and I'm, I certainly do do make mistakes, and I'm sure I, I said some things that, that were – uh, not not perfect, or, and did some things that were not perfect. But uh, part of uh, the idea of uh, a seminar in, in college, and uh, you know, in, in this sort of high school context, is that you know we uh, we all are the sorts of creatures who are learning together, right? We're all making mistakes. We're all trying to uh, learn from each other and learn with the, the things that we're reading, uh, and so that you know that that requires a, a kind of charity toward each other. And if we don't understand something, or if we don't hear a word, or if we're wondering why someone used a word, we have to ask, you know. Why is that? Can you can you give us the explanation? This seems like it might be off, uh, and and that wasn't happening. That that was cut off by this cult like dynamic that had developed in the seminar. Okay, now we've told the story here, Professor Lloyd, and I and again I want people to read this. But my you know what my number one question is for you is because I'm worried about you. Why would you tell this story? Because that's as you know that's a very perilous thing to do at this point, especially in academia. 
Yes, and I, and I think we've seen some of that that, that uh, quite personal pushback on uh, on Twitter uh, after this uh, essay came out. Right. So I, I think it's important for those who care about justice, those who care about racial justice, those who care about anti-black racism to realize that there, there's something wrong in our uh, social movement culture. Right? There's something yeah. wrong in our activist culture and in our broader political discourse that we, we uh, need to remember the, the sorts of virtues and sensibilities that are the prerequisite to uh, pursuing justice. That is, you know, uh, listening to each other carefully, uh, relating with charity to each other, uh, you know, having a, a kind of responsiveness to uh, the needs uh, of, the, of each other um, uh, and, you know, being willing to change our mind, being willing to tolerate being frustrated for a while uh, with the knowledge that we're, we, we have a common project. We all care about justice. We all want to move in that direction, even if we're uh, articulating it in different sorts of ways. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that's a conversation that, that we in the U.S. need to be having more, right? How can those who care about justice, who I think is almost every American, be uh, fostering a culture where uh, we can do that together in the most effective ways? And, you know, I feel strongly, you, you might disagree, but here I mentioned Mike Brown. Okay, so that was, that was 2014. We're almost nine years uh, out from what I refer to often as ground zero. And I, I said it at the time, Professor, and I would hold to this even more so now, that I feel that race relations have gotten worse every year since then. And it's not getting better. So I don't know how to – I'm encouraged that I see more pieces like what you're saying, but I don't know how we reel some of this stuff back in uh, and, and get things to move in a more positive direction. Right. Uh, so I, I think we're, we're at a really difficult moment because uh, thanks to uh, activists, we are noticing that there are forms of racism that were previously overlooked uh, and there are forms of violence that uh, black folks are facing that had been overlooked uh, in, in all sorts of domains. Uh, and that's something that, that needs to be addressed. But we need to address it in a way that uh, it doesn't create new cultures of abuse. Right? We need to address it in a way that's targeted uh, to uh, the, uh, the, the racism uh, and uh, related uh, forms of domination, but but uh, it, you know it, it doesn't um, uh, make uh, us hurt each other as we we yeah. uh, profess to be pursuing justice. Well, I think it I think it really did take a lot of courage to write this and and to tell this story. And your story is not alone because there are very similar stories that other professors have shared along the same lines that I've read and highlighted here on this radio show. Professor Vincent Lloyd, thank you. I appreciate you coming up. Well, first of all. Uh, Appreciate you telling the story and then coming on here this afternoon in St. Louis and sharing it, even in your uh, the aftermath of your agony of the Eagles losing. So that's even more impressive, <laughs> Vincent Lloyd. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. And that is, when you think about it, the story that he just shared, an amazing story, because you have someone who is not just a professor of black history, but a professor who has for years now taught along these anti-racist lines and his anti-racism isn't good enough for those who buy into the white supremacy narrative at all turns. So that is, uh, that's kind of depressing when you really think about it. I don't think there's a lot of optimism when you think about what's happening there in academia. Good for him for writing about it. Will it do any good? My uh, feelings would be no. It's doubtful. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the problems with the uh, story that Vincent Lloyd, the professor from Villanova, just shared in the previous segment is that very few people even read that or hear about it. Those of you listening to this show heard this, but you have, you know, let's kind of frame this around the backdrop of a ridiculous column that was in the Post-Dispatch a couple of days ago by Aisha Sultan, where, you know, they continue to spread lies about what is being taught or what's allowed to be taught in classrooms across the country. And it's utterly ridiculous. And, you know, I, I think it's even more sadly ironic because this is the side that talked about lies from Trump all the time, and they lie more than... <laughs> That I've, that I've seen in a long time. And they're never challenged. The difference is with, with Trump, and he lied a lot. I, I can't deny that. But he was challenged on it at every turn. The media challenged him at every turn. Even when he wasn't lying, they said he was lying. Right? So then this sort of ties into it. I'm going to get, at least try to get Spencer Dalkey from The Federalist on to talk about this. This is a story that deals with um, a school board in Colorado. It's Woodland Park School Board. It's described as a conservative area. Uh, home to Merit Academy, Spencer writes in The Federalist. The school chartered by parents for education in valor and responsibility. The Woodland Park School District earned the ire of the propaganda press after it decided against using Tanishi Coates' book Between the World and Me in its teaching. The book district leader said violated state and local social study standards, which aim to teach kids, quote, so they may become worthy of their ancestors by becoming full members of the American Republic, self-reliant citizens who respect the dignity and the rights of their fellow Americans who love their country. Oh, they're failing on that one. Who love their country and who cherish our liberties and laws. You know, they had me until who love their country, because that's certainly not something that's being taught in the schools these days. So in, in the piece, uh, Spencer says these standards cut against left-wing narratives. So MSNBC's Chris Hayes aimed his fire at the conservative district last week. And he said, even in states that aren't laying down edicts about teaching about race, local school boards are pursuing that agenda. Like in Woodland Park, Colorado, where a school board member grilled a high school teacher about one of the texts taught in a history elective. Now, Hayes was referring to something that happened in a board meeting just a couple of weeks ago on the 25th of January, where the guy who's the vice president of the school board in Woodland, Dave Illingsworth is his name, was interviewing an applicant for an empty board position. And during this interview, he quoted from Tanishi Coates' book, and he asked the interviewee if he agreed. So here's what he said. In the 2015 book, Between the World and Me, Tanishi Coates writes, among other things, the power of domination and exclusion is central to the belief in being white, and without it, white people would cease to exist. My question to you, do you agree with this teaching? Would it be appropriate or even lawful to teach a child to view a person as inherently bad or dangerous simply because of the color of their skin? That seems rather rhetorical to those of us who have brains, but apparently in 2023 it's not. So she, he says, the school vice president, school board vice president says, I wasn't grilling a teacher. I was talking to somebody who had applied to serve on the board of education, but it didn't stop there. So Hayes invites Coates to defend his book 
unopposed on live television. Illingsworth, of course, was not invited, but he and the Woodland Park parents aren't letting the smear slide. So, of course, the claim is that removing Coates' book from Woodford Park, Woodland Park meant to suppress black history. This is, again, kind of the nonsense that was in the, the local paper by um, Aisha Sultan over the weekend. They keep saying that this is the movement on the part of conservatives is to reject black history, is to make sure that black history is not taught, which is nonsense. It's a complete lie. There's nothing in any bill in Florida or in Missouri that prevents history from being taught. It prevents indoctrination and from teaching the kids to hate America, but it doesn't teach you or not permit you to teach actual history. So Illingsworth says this. He says, it wasn't that the book was removed from classrooms or removed from the library or any sort of order went out to discourage people from reading or anything like that. It wasn't a good fit for the standards that were adopted, he says. It just wasn't a good fit for the standards that were adopted. So in accordance with the American Birthright Social Studies Standards, ABSS, I think the BS is a real you know, standout part of that acronym there, which Woodland Park adopted in addition to state requirements and which require social studies to cultivate love, not hate for their country and respect for their fellow Americans, not disdain for them based on the color of their skin. So the superintendent deemed Coates' book noncompliant. Again, not to be confusing here, but most of the indoctrination does not teach you to love the country. In this particular school district, they said, this doesn't fit with our standards here because it doesn't teach people to really like the country and to hate white people as well. Um, The superintendent said it's incumbent on educators to use thoughtful review in selecting curriculum materials and on the district in approving them. This informs our civics curriculum choices. My main criteria on those standards is, is it going to allow us to improve the way that we teach history, civics, social studies to our kids, the complete truth, warts and all? I believe, and it's the belief of many others who have looked at these standards, that yes, it will allow us to do that because, in fact, you can do that. You can absolutely do that. During the interview that they did air on MSNBC, Coates argued that his condemnation is not against white people but against white as a category. But whether Coates condemns white people or whiteness, the effects are the same, right? It's the same thing. Illingsworth told the Federalist that Coates used a friendly form with Chris Hayes to strawman the values of Woodland Park, which is committed to teaching history as it is, a web of complex issues that cannot be simplified to winners and losers or victims and oppressors. That's a big part of that. We can't be teaching people that white people are bad or that black people are bad or that Hispanic people are bad. Illingsworth continued. Uh, and he's right about that, but that's not what um, Denise Coates, Chris Hayes, or Aisha Sultan at the Post-Dispatcher, many of these lefties want. They want anti-racism. And keep in mind, based on what we learned in the previous segment, even the anti-racists are having problems because they're not anti-racist enough. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. 
Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.